Please turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Now, as Bob mentioned in his prayer, uh, this week at the Southern Baptist Convention is taking place in Anaheim, California. Our senior pastor, Dr. Jonathan Russell, is either there, almost there, he's, he's going to be there. Uh, so uh, be praying for him and for safe travels for him. Because it is the Southern Baptist Convention uh, this week, across our convention, across our denomination this Sunday, it is National Oh My to Letting a Staff Member Preach Day. So, um, so if you are a visitor and a guest here this morning, uh, I am not the regularly scheduled program. We will return to that next week. So, so don't judge us by everything that happens here in these next few minutes. Um, a few years ago, well, actually, it's more than a few years ago. It was when Hannah was born, so that puts it 16, 17 years ago. I read a book on, um, on spiritual, not spiritual strengths, but on, on strengths. You know, it was written for business people, written for people working in companies about what are your strengths and how to work within your strengths. And it had a strengths inventory to tell you what your strengths were. And I did that, and I can't remember any of them right now which gives you an idea how much it impressed me. Uh, but but I, know, uh, I know a person who their, part of their work and part of their job is to go from company to company and to sem do seminars on working in your strengths. And, and that all makes sense. I mean, after all, who wants to do something they're not good at? Who wants to do something that they can, could potentially fail at? Uh, we, we don't like failure. We want to avoid failure. We want to avoid weakness. I mean, after all, what would you think of any politician, uh, say we, we had a president someday who as, went before the nation and said, I really have no idea what we're doing, what I'm doing or how to solve this. We should pray. Terrific. That would be terrific. But he would be skewered, wouldn't he? He would be thrown out. He'd be considered nuts, crazy. We want usually to operate at what we're good at, what we're strong at. But however, when it comes to serving God, emphasizing strengths and avoiding those things that we may be weak at, it has pragmatic and spiritual dangers. Even in uh, something, say, like the military, you know, overemphasizing strengths can be dangerous. I, I like to, uh, well, I don't like to read. I like to listen to these books because I don't have time to read them. But I like to read, listen to books about military history, particularly certain battles. And what, what interests me is not even so much how is a battle won, but why did a side lose? What caused them to, to lose? Recently, I listened to a book on, on the Battle of Midway. And it was pretty much all entirely from the Japanese perspective. And what the author suggested was they lost for, for three reasons that had to do perhaps with their conceit and their idea that there's no way we can lose. One is they failed to learn. They failed to learn why they, why they had won previous battles. And they failed to also realize that they almost lost some and why that was. For example, how did two American aircraft carriers just wind up at Coral Sea? They didn't pay any attention to that. 
They failed to adapt. They had a battle plan. They had traditions. They had things that they did. And when it got to the battle and it wasn't working out, they stuck with the plan. They didn't adapt. They also failed to anticipate. In fact, leading up to the, to the battle midway, they had a sort of a war game exercise where they had maps and places where ships were supposed to go on them. It would all be computerized today. But they'd have junior, junior officers act like the Americans, and they'd have their admirals doing their part. And one of the junior officers actually put American aircraft carriers on the map near where aircraft carriers from the United States actually wore when the battle began. And they saw if that happened, they would suffer great losses. You know what they did? They said, there's no way that can happen. Ignore it. Change the game. Conceit blinds us. Conceit keeps us from seeing where we might fail, and it keeps us from trying to do those things that only God can do through us. See, as this passage teaches, we experience God's glory in a special way when we put ourselves in a situation where we absolutely have to depend upon him. Paul, this is his second letter to the Corinthians. And if you are familiar with these letters, he had a lot of problems with the church at Corinth. It was a church that he had started, a church that he had planted. And it was a church in an area, I guess the best way to describe it is it was one big Bourbon Street. Now, that was the type of background the people were coming from as they came to Christ. So they brought all that in the church and they had all that baggage and they had all those problems and he's writing them and he's telling them how to straighten things out. But it was also a typical Greek culture type of city. They were impressed by strength. They were impressed by the people who would come in and, and visit and speak to their church who had the uh, finely tailored Roman tunic and the perfect Roman bowl cut and most of their teeth. And they went to the best schools of oration. They, know, they knew how to construct a speech and make an argument and present a case. And they were highly impressed by this. And Paul just didn't quite measure up to them. After Paul, after all, Paul was a um, he was he he was from a, he was from a Jewish background, and he was and he was one of those you know Middle Easterners, and he 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 didn't look all that great, you know, and he had all these problems. So they stopped paying attention to Paul so much and they started paying attention to these other guys. And that just made it harder and harder for Paul to be able to speak to them and try to help them through their difficulties and through their problems. They began to look down on Paul. So Paul in much of 2 Corinthians is basically defending himself. He's basically saying, hey, I'm just as good I am better than these other guys. And let me tell you why. And he begins to talk about what made him credible in ministry. What, what were his credentials? And here's what he said. He didn't say, I went to the best 
seminary. I didn't, he didn't say I went to, I, I, I read the best books. He didn't say I, I, I have, I'm more qualified. Here's what he said. I've been shipwrecked more than they have. I've been beaten more than they have. I've been stoned and left for dead. They haven't. He pointed out the fact that he had suffered for the cause of Christ. And, and they would be like, oh, uh, now those people, they had great visions. They have, they've, seen, they've had dreams and visions of what God can do. And Paul basically says, I know someone who had a vision. Leading up to this text, he's, he talks about a man. And he's really talking about himself, but he's talking in the third person because he He's just overwhelmed by it. He doesn't want to boast about it. But he, he'd been taken up to heaven. He'd seen heaven. And he said there weren't words to describe what was there. Which kind of makes me suspicious sometimes when someone says that I've been to heaven and they write a 200-page book. Because Paul couldn't find the words for it. And then he goes, he comes back and he, and he says, and because of the visions that I had, God allowed me to have some problems. That brings us to verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what was Paul saying to them? He's talking about his own personal experience. He's talked about the visions he's had. And evidently, there was a danger there in Paul's life and in his character where he could have become conceited. He could have said, look at me. Look at my vision. You know. Buy my book. You know, come hear me speak. Let me tell you all about it. But God doesn't allow him to do that. God instead sends something or allows something in his life that brings suffering into it, problems into it. He calls it a thorn in the flesh. Now, no one, no Bible scholar can really pin down exactly what that thorn in the flesh was. Uh, some people say it was a, an eye disease. Some people say it was another physical disability or, or condition. Some say it was a person. Do I have a witness? You know. <laughs> I mean, some, you know, he, something was there in his life causing him problems, difficulties, pain, suffering. And he says it was a messenger of Satan. That Satan had done something in his life, but here's the thing. 
God allowed it. God used it to do something better and greater in Paul's life. So Paul, he prays for this to go away. He prays three times. The first two times, apparently, there's no answer. God doesn't speak. God doesn't say anything. He's just still suffering. And the third time, Jesus responds to him. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's purpose was twofold in Paul's life for this thorn in the flesh. It was to keep Paul from being conceited. See, Paul was a successful missionary. He planted churches all over the Roman Empire. He traveled extensively. There were were thousands upon ten thousands of people who came to know Christ either directly or indirectly from his ministry. He He has written, he wrote much of our New Testament. And and he wrote other letters as well. He was, by all measures, a successful minister. And evidently, God saw in all that a danger that he could become conceited and proud. So God allowed this so that he wouldn't. One of the trends over the past two or three years in ministry... When it comes to ministers having fallen and left ministry because of of having fallen, it's not the serious, what we call the serious moral failings. It isn't usually because they had an affair. It isn't usually because, you know, they've done something, they've stolen money or anything like that. It's because they become so arrogant and proud that the congregations can't stand them anymore. And the leaders of the congregation go to them and say, your character has become such that you're abusive, you don't let people speak, you act like you control everything, you can't keep doing this. See, there's a danger when we have success because we might learn to rely on our strengths and stop depending on God. We stop changing. We don't adapt. We don't, we just sort of say, "Uh, this worked before, we're just going to keep doing it. We do the same thing over and over and our lives and our churches become programmed And they lack God's power. Jesus wanted Paul to learn to depend upon his grace and power. Grace is the foundation of God's covenant with us. Our relationship with God is not based upon our performance. Now, I I cannot stand before God and say, okay, God, I've got so much to offer you. I've got a master's degree. I've got a PhD. I can give a two-hour lecture on Andrew Fuller's influence on Baptist theology. Does anyone want to hear that, by the way? (laughs) 
No hands, no takers. Okay. I have one, so if you ever want it, I'll do it. You know, I, you know, I, I, I can't stand before God and say, look how much i got to offer you, God, because I have really have nothing. The only thing I bring to my relationship with God is my sin. And what he brings is his grace and his mercy and salvation. Grace is the foundation of our relationship with him. But he also offers us power. See, Paul's weakness came as a result of his serving Christ and spreading his kingdom. It didn't just happen. It was a direct result of the fact that he was serving God. Now, this principle doesn't mean we can just do anything we are weak at and have God backing us up and giving us power. You know, I, I, can't, you know, I can't walk up to an NFL team's practice facility and say, hey, put me in at Lyman. God will help me. You know, that, that's, that's not what this is talking about. This principle doesn't mean we, that, you know, in serving God, we should not be afraid to do what might expose our weaknesses. See, we need to do that. We need to serve him in a way that stretches us, that moves us beyond what we normally would do or can do. Because that is where we find God's power working through us. Paul gave himself to God's work and the spread of the gospel throughout the world, and in doing so, he opened himself up to weaknesses. He experienced great physical suffering. Yet, in weakness, he found God's grace, and he found God's power, and he experienced God's glory working through him. To experience God's power, you have to serve him and allow yourself to be stretched to a point that your weakness shows. Now, there's a lot of benefits in embracing your weakness, whatever that may be. One thing is you learn contentment, which is something this passage mentions. This passage runs very parallel to Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 that say, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That last verse, verse 13, Philippians 4.13, is not just saying, you know, I can do anything I want because God's going to empower me to do it. It is, I can be content when I'm serving him in any situation because he strengthens me. I feel his presence and I feel his power when I put myself in a position when I where I have to absolutely depend upon him and I can be content there. Another benefit of embracing your weakness is that you experience God's glory. What so many are missing in their relationship with God, what so many Christians are missing is depending on him absolutely in complete surrender. We sense God's power most when we serve in ways that stretch us beyond our comfort. We are forced to rely on him. Many people ask, how can I experience the glory of God? 
And here's how you do it. Do something you can't do without him. Do something where his glory, he gets all the glory from, from whatever you do because no one would look at you and say, yeah, that person did that. Another benefit and related to that is you experience, the, you experience joy in serving God when you embrace your weakness. It is well known in this church that I am an introvert. Someone in this church gave me a t-shirt that says on it, somewhat functional introvert. <laughs> Some of you would argue with the first two words of that, but no one would argue with the third. <laughs> I am an introvert. If you ever tried to talk to me and got the impression that I didn't want to talk to you, it's nothing personal, but you were probably right. <laughs> yeah. And because of that, many of you, many people would assume there's probably nothing I hate more than doing what I'm doing right now. Now, it's not lost on me that God called me to a ministry that is people-intensive, and requires me to speak. But here's the thing. I'm having fun. I enjoy this. Whether I'm teaching a class of 10, whether I'm speaking to all of you right now, I am having fun. And I never sense God's power more than when I'm doing this. Why? Because you wouldn't catch me dead doing it otherwise. <laughs> when we use our spiritual gifts that God has given us to serve with His power working through us, we experience joy, we experience happiness, and we experience His presence. We need to realize we all come before God weak. We can't say, you know, you, you really need me, God, because I can do this. Or because I have this. Or because I have the vision that, will, that you really need to have, God. See, dependence on God is how our relationship with God begins, and it's how it must continue. See, the, the biggest offense of the gospel, where people really get upset when you present them the gospel, usually isn't, you know, they, they usually don't start off, well, you're Baptist, so I don't want to hear you. They usually don't get upset when you, when you talk about Jesus. They don't even get upset when you say the Bible's true. When they really get upset is when you say, and you can't save yourself. Your sin, so detrimental to you and so detrimental to your life that you can't approach God and you cannot be in his presence. He loves you, but you can't be there. 
well, I'll just work harder. It doesn't matter. I'll just do this. That doesn't matter. The only way you can be saved is if he saves you. The only way you can keep from being far from him is if he draws you near. And he's done that through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. He's done that through the shed blood of Christ for your sins. He's done that through his death, burial, and resurrection. And when you realize that, and when you put, the only thing you have to do is put your faith and trust in that, repenting of your sins, then your relationship with God begins. But what happens so often is once somebody does that, and honestly, I think churches are sometimes guilty of this. You know, you know the door's wide open. Anyone can come to Christ. You don't have to do anything but believe. And you do it. Here's the list of what we want you to do now. And we... And we fall into the trap of thinking the Christian life is about my performance. And about doing more than someone else. Or checking off the boxes of daily spiritual disciplines. Or any of those things. And we think, if I just impress God enough, I'll experience his power more. No, it's when you realize you need him to do anything. To empower you to do the ministry of, and do his work. So this morning, are you willing to admit that you are weak? If you are here without Christ, if you are here far away from God, if you are here not knowing what your eternal destiny would be, are you willing to admit that you're weak? That you can't save yourself? that you could never do enough to impress God, but that you have to trust Jesus Christ, that you have to have his righteousness given to you through faith and placing, through your faith placed in him as your Lord and Savior. If you have questions about that, we'd love to answer them. You can come down during the invitation time. You can meet me out at the next step desk. You can, you can grab someone here who looks like they know what they're doing and ask them. Believer, are you living a life that seems like a spiritual rut? Where you're not experiencing God's power? Let me ask, what are you doing to stretch yourself beyond what you can do anyway? Some of you need to experience God's power fresh by just doing anything. But some of you need to stretch yourself a little bit more. We don't have any far-flung mission trips except for the construction team this, this summer. Maybe that's what you need to get involved with to stretch yourself. But next year we hope to go to, you know, some pagan part of the United States, and don't say Georgia. We hope to go, you know, some other part of the world. 
the gospel needs to be heard. Open yourself up to being stretched. Experiencing God's presence and doing that. Perhaps you've been a believer for some time, but you've never been baptized. You've never become part of a church. As a 18, when I was 18 years old, I, I walked down the aisle of a church, scared to death that they were going to make me talk. Fortunately, they didn't at that time. But they did have that list after I came in. <laughs> but you need to stretch yourself. You need to become a part of the body of Christ. You need to allow your gifts to be, served, to be used and to serve here. If you need to be baptized, come. If you need to join the church, come. But just go deeper in your obedience to God. Ask Him, what do you want me to do that I have to completely rely upon you to accomplish? And then be obedient. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. Without those things, we cannot even be in your presence. We thank you, Lord, that when we are at the end of ourselves, you give us strength, you give us power. Help us to be a people that waits upon you, to have our strength renewed, to mount up on wings like eagles, and to serve you and to soar to places that you'd have us to go. And I ask this in Jesus' name.